This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder. The only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air,、uh, and, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my friend and co host, Laura Spath. And today we're going to talk about a topic that we received a question. And it says, I have a lot of problems with eating carbs. I eat mostly a keto carnivore diet, but I keep falling back. I would call myself a sugar addict, but have the last few days, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts on sugar addiction where most of the people out there say there is nothing. There's no such thing as a sugar addict, that the problem is actually restricting, and that the mentality of restricting is what leads to binges. What are your thoughts on the research that's out there that says that binge behavior comes from being overly restrictive? Here's what I'll say there was a Minnesota study, and I'll put it in the show notes, but Ansel Keys did a study on the starvation. And he had a bunch of healthy men that had no eating disorders, very normal weight, and he made them basically starve. And he did it for a period of, okay, I'm going to cut your calories to a really ridiculously low amount. And these guys became emaciated. There's pictures of them from that study. And then over time, he allowed them to refeed. What happened in that study was that a lot of the guys became, they, they all started struggling with eating disorders, fantasizing about foods and talking about、hmm. food. So initially they were vibrant and they were, you know, they're very normal, healthy guys. And that's how they were screened to be part of this study. And then by the end of the whole starvation period, they became very depressed, mood imbalances. You know, they would talk about foods and meals and obsess about it. And some people, they were allowed coffee and gum. And this one person, I think, was going through like 20 plus packs of gum a day because they were just waiting for food.、Um, when they were refeeding, a lot of them ended up binging a lot. And so, Some people two years after the, the experiment were still struggling with normalizing behavior and diet and food. And, and there w a s just a lot of imbalances. So that shows you too much restriction can definitely cause a binge. 
The issue with that study is that they didn't think about nutrient density, right? They were eating mostly carbs and they were eating a lot of processed foods. If we knew that they were being properly fueled when they had their meal, would they have had that sugar addiction or was it the lack of sugar in those periods where they were being restricted that caused some of that eating disorder? And that's the part where we can't really differentiate that. And and then afterward, I don't know how they were refueling, right? Were they eating a meat-based diet? Probably not. So- well, it talks also about them being calorie restricted. Yes. And so we agree. That's not a great thing. You sh- you're going to experience cravings and challenges, even on a carnivore diet, if you're not getting proper nutrients, like you just said about being nutrient density, if you're not getting enough calories, your body is going to go into that shutdown mode. Also, I would rec- reckon that they were in and out of ketosis essentially, because they're eating those carbs and sugars and then switching back and then going back when they get, when they're fed and those starvation modes they're constantly just feeling terrible and in and out of their, their bodies just under so much stress because it keeps going back and forth in from starvation to getting that amount of sugar that it probably was just wreaking havoc on them. There's restriction from not enough calories, but one of the things that your body is very good at doing is if it's hungry or it realizes that there's nutrient depletion or that you're starving, it will do everything in its might from a hormone perspective to get you to go and get food. So these people were probably obsessing about it. Some of those guys were chewing gum. They're getting those sugar alcohols and he probably had over a hundred grams of sugar alcohols with all the gum he was eating. One, it's under eating. It doesn't matter if you're only eating beef, um, if you're only eating meat, um, if you're under eating, you're not getting enough nutrients. And then the second thing is if you're eating nutrient poor. So if you're not getting enough nutrients, your body's going to crave things. That's one. But there's also the thing of having a proper energy source. So when you are eating a meat only diet, and you're only eating mostly protein, and if you're especially eating just lean proteins, you are going to crave sugar also because you don't have a good energy source. And remember, your primary energy sources are fat and sugar and glucose. And you could do the gluconeogenesis, but for a overarching energy source, it's not ideal. If you're going to eat a keto carnivore diet, you want to do a higher fat approach. And that will then usually will subside a lot of the sugar addiction from the physical need of it. The mental need is different, right? If you're going to um, try to fight a sugar addiction, you first want to nourish the body so that the body is not sending hormones to the brain to say, go have Judy crave sugar or some other food that I know she can't resist so we could get the nutrients. But if my body is fueled, it will not crave as much of the sugar and the other nutrients or whatever other nutrients is in that sugary food. And then once I support that part, so if I have enough fat, I have enough meat, then I just have to deal with, which is still really hard, but I have to deal with the mental side of the sugar addiction, right? So the, the oh, I remember how that good that sugar tastes or, oh, I'm stressed. I'm going to turn to sugar because that's what I normally did to cope. And that's a whole different element of sugar addiction. And so that is where I do believe sugar addiction really does exist. I think with that's one of the problems that I see with the protein sparing modified fast that people do. If they're doing it, it works to lose weight. You absolutely can lose weight doing that. But you're in such a state of restriction and you're not getting that valuable fat source or fuel source, energy source that you're not feeling great. And so because of that, it brings on cravings uh, and it mentally is very difficult for you to be in that mode of restriction for very long. It's one thing to have a lean day here occasionally, but to do that long-term method, you're likely going to experience a lot of those cravings and it would cause a binge for me personally. 
you know, we've talked about it in multiple podcasts, but when we talk about stress, right, and we talk about cheat days, if you have a cortisol response, that is the stress hormone, and then that'll make your insulin get all wacky. And then when that is going down, you start craving more sugar because your body essentially wants more fuel. So if you're eating a meat-based diet or a mostly keto diet, think about what how keto was derived. It's a therapeutic diet that needs high fat for the energy source. And then you get protein for the building blocks for amino acids. But if you reduce the fat part of a ketogenic diet, and then you're only eating the lean protein, which is supposed to be a building block, not an energy source, well, then your body's going to start saying, well, I need some cholesterol for my steroid hormones, for my sex hormones. And so I'm going to make you start craving sugar. I'm going to make you constantly hungry. And if you just were to eat some of that fat, especially in the beginning to get more adapted to a ketogenic diet, I think you could do yourself a great service and feel less of that sugar addiction. I think something else that that study was done such a long time ago, and my guess is where she's referencing, what do you say to those studies? Those studies were done a long time ago. Modern food is not the same as it was even 50 years ago. We didn't have these overly processed, you know, seed oils and things. I don't know exactly when those came about in, in history, but they weren't, didn't exist that long ago. And, you know, I love how um, Dr. Joan Ifland, who is the food addiction reset master talks a lot about how it's a processed food addiction and it is a food addiction because these foods are designed to be highly addictive. You know, there's this old rumor about how like McDonald's even injects caffeine into their chicken and everything that they have there is like overly uh, addictive so that you'll want to go back and eat their hamburgers or their, I don't know, I'm not saying it's in their meat, but their bread and all of those things um, are just so addictive and when you're eating the cereals and the sugar and the grains and the seed oils all combined, it, you know, that's what a donut is. It's designed to be addictive for your body. And so um, for me, the only way to get over that is through abstinence. It's like a drug to me. And I think that when we start looking at food as a drug or that addictive nature of sugar, the same way that we look at nicotine and the same way that we look at opiates and the same way that we look at other really terrible drugs that are addictive, your body is made to crave those. And so for so many of us, it is about being a moderator versus abstainer. You know, we have an entire episode where we really break down what that is, but maybe that's true with things like sweet potatoes and whole foods. I still don't want to eat those things either. I can't handle that. And for me as an abstainer, I'm somebody who needs to stay away from even whole foods, fruit, strawberries, things like that. But there's nobody that I think cuts out all of the processed foods um, and is in a worse off place than they were before. And I do truly believe that the longer you are without those highly addictive foods, the more that those cravings will subside um, because you're able to abstain from that drug and your body's able to clean it out. Now, having little bits of those things occasionally, it I think it does cause the binge and it does cause those issues where you're, you know, it's like rather than like giving up smoking, you had two cigarettes a day. Like anybody who's gone through that knows it's impossible. You just can't do it. I'm guessing she's also talking about some of that research that you know, some of the carnivores that are moving on to repeat are saying where if you reduce all the PUFAs, then sugar is not the issue. So then if you're abstaining from sugar, it's not really a sugar addiction. It's actually that your body really needs the sugar. So maybe if you just had some sugar, your body would calm down. And so 
a lot of the people that advocate for eating sugar, and they even mean pure white cane sugar, that if you just eat that, but you reduce your PUFAs, and then you could be really healthy, and you could even heal this part of the mental health side. And I get it in theory. I didn't even do a ton of research in that area, so I don't know for sure. But let's just say that's true. But how realistic is that? If I say, okay, Laura, you can eat lollipops that are made from 100% pure cane sugar. Will that cause a craving for, well, now I want some ice cream. Well, you can't have that ice cream because unless you make it at home, it's it's just a gamble that do you want to go down that path? And some of these advocates are eating over 300 grams plus of white sugar as long as there are no PUFAs. And I think it's like you said, it may be right that I'm, I don't even think that they're wrong. I think that the average person and as somebody who was extremely obese, like I could not have handled that. I can't handle that now. And I don't know too many people who can handle it. And the ones that I see who can never had an issue with food to begin with. Yes. They were never overweight to begin with. And they're crazy. No, they're, they love working out. Um, they end up exercising so much every day that they're likely burning off a lot of that sugar, but they're the type of people who could eat a half of something sweet and then set it down and walk away because they can take two bites of something like people with these addictive personalities, um, are not really able to do that. And I think that whether that comes from like something within me where I just have an addictive personality that's manifested in food, right? Cause I didn't ever experience that with, you know, alcohol or other things. Um, maybe it's just that that's manifested in food for me, or maybe it's just that the foods that I was eating were so toxic and so addictive that that was just where it came from. Maybe a combination of the two, I'm not sure, but I don't know too many people who could eat that way with the hundred percent pure sugar and then be satisfied and not let it transition into Oreos and other things. I'm see, I got a name of food. That's not ice cream or peanut butter. Those are my only two foods I ever mentioned. Oreos were good too. If we were to really dissect this sugar addiction, I mean, if you think about how some of us still binge off of meat foods, right? Like cheese and other, and we could say that there's um, some addictive chemical in cheese that causes us to want more. Um, or it's the lactose, which is a little bit of sugar. But let's. But there's a lot of people that turn to food and overeat food that is not sugar, and that shows you it's more than just sugar, right? It's this addiction of if we turn to food for comfort in our past, we have a neural pathway that knows, oh, if I eat this food, or if Judy eats food after this and this and this type of emotion. I know it makes her feel better. So therefore I'm going to keep doing that because in moments of crises where I can't think and I just need a quick split answer that will allow me to feel better or allow Judy to feel better. And so then when I'm stressed, if I can't eat the sugar, I'll just overeat bacon or I'll overeat pieces of cheese or pepperoni or deli meats or pork rinds, right? I, I hear all the time from my clients, I dusted a a bag or two of pork rinds and I know it hurts my gut, but I can't help it. And that to me is no longer really about sugar, but it's why are you turning to those foods? Right. And it goes back to our um, conversation last time. I'm sure some of the sugar addiction that people are talking about is just that you've over overly restricted. And sure, you could talk about that Minnesota study. But one thing I wanted to bring up is when you talked about those people that are eating sugar a lot, um, that can put down sugar whenever they want. And then, but then they also work out. 
I honestly have a few clients like that. And what ends up happening is sometimes they overly use their adrenals, their cortisol response from the excess sugar, and then doing excess exercise, jujitsu, working out, CrossFit, um, lifting constantly. And then in their 40s and 50s, I'm seeing their adrenals and that endocrine system crash where they need drips of sugar and honey to get through the day. And they no longer have the energy and that um, that momentum they used to have. And so I don't think anyone could do that long term, right, where you're eating lots of sugar and working out hard by with that excess amount of sugar in your system. Because what it ends up doing is you're just pumping out excess cortisol. And eventually, remember, in our previous podcast, we talked about how cortisol and inflammation are related. So you will be producing constant drips of inflammation in the body with excess cortisol. And then, you know, you could do that in your 20s, maybe in your 30s, maybe even into your 40s. But I'm telling you long term, you can't do it because I see it in my clients. The other thing that's interesting is some of that philosophy is take out coffee because coffee's so toxic and caffeine so bad. But then let's incorporate sugar multiple times throughout the day to give that energy spike. Like that's the same thing as people. I mean, not that caffeine and sugar are the same thing, but it's still those like things spaced all throughout the day to like give you a little energy boost, whether that's the sugar or the the caffeine. And I think they're both can be this pretty addictive thing. I think you hit the nail on the head though. I mean, I can definitely binge carnivore foods, approved foods. You know, I have ones that are easier than others. It's harder to do that with steak or something, um, but something like a bacon or the other foods that you mentioned, it's really easy to do that on. And so getting to the root cause of what's going on um, is definitely important. And we talk about that often, I asked on Instagram this week, uh, what's the hardest part of losing weight? And I mean, of all of the responses that I got, the overwhelming majority of them were people that were saying things like being consistent, staying on track, not cheating, getting on track after a cheat day. Like those are all things that I think the average person who's overweight and trying to lose weight is struggling with. And it is things like that consistency I think, you know, we've talked about there's a difference of people who need to gradually get into this way of eating versus people who need to be super strict in it. I just don't know too many people that are severely overweight who can handle occasionally having something that's processed or some kind of sugar. Um, The success that I've seen and I'm, you know, to speak to the question that you got earlier, the success that I've seen people having is the longer they can be consistent and the more strict they are, the more successful they are. Um, Share with us, leave us comments and let us know if you're somebody who, if you're super strict, if that causes you to binge. But from what I've seen, it's kind of like the longer you can be strict, the more that helps with consistency. Even for myself, the more that I try to incorporate other things is when I trip up with my consistency of any way, you know, the more strict I am, the easier it is to be consistent long-term. The way that you can be successful with being strict is strict can't mean that you're not supporting your body from a nutrient dense perspective, right? So you need to make sure that your strict includes having sufficient fat, not cutting out all the fat on the ribeye, um, making sure that if you need a little bit more fat, especially while you're assimilating to the this way of eating, that you add that fat so you have the energy and making sure that you're nourishing yourself well. If you, that then equals strict, then yes, I fully agree. I mean, we have that one person in Carnivore 75 Heart that's done it for 700 plus days now. I just saw, and he was morbidly obese. And now he's prepping for a 5K. I mean, 
that is what shows you and the power of being strict. And, and I don't think he's really had a day of veering off of Carnivore 75 hard. He is now prepping for a 5k, which is amazing, right? That's the power of being strict. And, you know, he was a sugar addict. He used to be addicted to sodas and he could not get through the afternoon without a bunch of regular sodas. And now he only drinks water. It just shows that it's not the restriction of actual sugar. It's the restriction of proper nutrition. Does that make but sense? That's, you know, that's it. I think it's, we're talking, when we talk about being uh, restricting things, we're talking about restricting processed foods. We're talking about restricting foods that don't make you feel good, restricting sugar. It's not about restricting nutrients. It's not about restricting energy in the ter- in terms of fat. And I think when you, I don't think there have been any studies that have been done of, you know, looking at the mental side of things and what kind of cravings people have. There's none that I know of. I'm sure you know better that scientific studies that have been done when people are properly fueled with nutrients and fat and fuel and calories, but eliminate the sugar, what that does to you. And I, I think that was the problem with a lot of those older studies that she mentioned is that they were really, um, they were really speaking towards calorie restriction and nutrient restriction restriction i guess the ultimate you know going through all of this is the question of restricting it depends on what you mean by restriction if you mean under eating um and it doesn't matter what kind of foods if you're under eating you're malnourishing your body you're not eating enough foods and then um all of those things yes i think it could totally cause a binge and it cause an addictive cycle and it can be sugar, but it can be other things. Sugar is the easiest way to get fuel. And so your body is very smart knowing that, oh, this person, Hannah, I know she will get triggered by sugar. So let's have the brain have her crave sugar because that will be the hardest instead of me saying have her crave a ribeye because she may not actually go after it, but she will definitely go after some ice cream. I think you have to remember too, that if you're miserable, you can't maintain anything long-term if you're miserable. And if you come up, that's why I can't make these big grand gestures sometimes of like, I'm going to do this amount of exercise and do this fasting and eat this way. And I have to pick one thing at a time because if it's too hard or if it's too miserable, you're not going to do it. If you're eating meat that you don't enjoy because you think that's how you're supposed to lose weight, that's going to cause a binge. If you're, um, you know, that's part of the reason why I splurge sometimes and buy a ribeye, even though it's maybe more expensive. And I cut out things in other parts of my life to make sure that I can afford that. Um, because I know that I have to really eat things that are exciting for me. I have to feel good. Um, and if I'm not really just eating meat that I love, if I was trying to eat, you know, lean roasts from the crock pot all the time, like that wouldn't be a way for me to be able to stay on track either. And those things would definitely cause me to have a binge. So I have the, you know, chicken wings sometimes if I'm dying to eat in a restaurant and because that just makes me feel normal again, sometimes I think that what we, what I saw from those responses, right. Most people are feeling that way of like, how do I stay on track? Is this is the biggest challenge that they're having. And for me, it's always been about short-term goals. If the weekends are the time when you cheat the most, how can I look ahead to this weekend Okay, look, you know what? Next weekend, I'll cheat. One weekend. I'm just going to try for one weekend not having a cheat. And Monday morning, I'm going to feel amazing. You are going to feel so amazing that it's going to launch you into the rest of your week. And I guarantee you, it's going to make things easier during the week. And by the time you get to the following weekend, it's like, hey, I already made it through one weekend. Let's see if I can make it through two weekends. And then let that keep building, you know, tell yourself it's not about making a hundred day challenge or doing something like that. Focus on 
What's your hardest thing? When are you most likely to trip up? Is it Friday night, margarita night with the girls? Or is it Taco Tuesdays? Like, what is it? Just push through one of those without doing it. It's one. It's short term. It's a short, short, small challenge. And once you get past that, you'll see how you are successful, how good you feel afterwards. And then you can let that continue to build by making a lot of short-term goals. I feel like I've been doing nothing but that. And I just realized that I hit three years of maintaining my hundred pound weight loss. Now that doesn't mean I've stayed the same. I've gone up and down and I, whatever, but I hit a hundred pounds weight loss kind of for the first time on this journey three years ago. And I weigh the same now as I did then up and down in there somewhere. I've had my setbacks. Absolutely. But I've only been able to do that by focusing on very short-term goals for myself. And sometimes it's just about, well, we have family pictures in a couple of weeks, so I got to be super strict until then and setting a lot of those goals to help push through. And I'm even kind of shocked at myself that it's now been three years um, since I've lost the weight. Yeah. And that's amazing. I mean, that's why I talk about win the day where if um, in my KetoCon talk in 2000, um, I talked about habits, right? So if you know that you're 60 or let's say a hundred pounds, right? So if you know you're a hundred pounds away from your goal weight and in one week you've lost maybe one pound. And so on the weekend your friend or whoever is saying, let's just go out and let's go to a nice restaurant. And you're like, well, I only lost a pound. I'm 99 pounds away. What is one weekend going to do? And then it makes it so much easier to just go forget it. Right. And then just go back to however you were eating and seize the day type of thing. But if you focus on win the days and you say, I'm at day seven and I have completed seven days and I have won my days, right? So let's say the rules are, I'm going to eat clean carnivore. I'm just not going to touch sugar and whatever your other things are that you say you win the day. And then on day eight, it becomes easier because it's no longer for one week, I only lost a pound. Instead, I've done seven days of completion to win my day. And now I'm on to day eight and I'm going to win my day. And then time will pass and you'll look back and it's like, wow, all of these days have passed and look at what I've achieved. And that's what James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits. It's the compounding interest of every single positive action that then will cause momentous changes in the future. They talk about a bamboo tree. It's all these years or months that the bamboo is growing um, underground. And we think, oh, like the bamboo is doing nothing. And then all of a sudden it becomes this really, really big tree. And it's like, how did that happen? It didn't happen overnight. It was all this work that no one else was able to see. And then just like that, it happens. Think about boiling water, right? Where it's just one degree that it takes that a water will boil or not. So if you, if you don't know what temperature water boils, you're going to think, okay, this water will never boil. But if you just give it time and just focus on the one degree every day, instead of I need to lose. Well, that's it though. But if you constantly keep adding, let's, I love, listen, I love a good analogy. We're going to keep rolling with it, Judy. If I constantly every day pour in a tiny bit of cold water to that boiling water, it's going to take so much longer. And every time it's almost there, you dump in a little cold water, you essentially have to start all over again. And that's exactly how it works with this type of keto diet or breaking this sugar addiction. Every time you pour back that cold water in there, it has to like get back up the temperature again. And it's going to take 10 times as long than if you just let it boil and quit touching it in the first place. A watch pot never boils, Judy. (laughs) Yeah, no, and it's true. I mean, it's how 
you talked about in one of the podcast episodes, I think it was a cheating one where if you say I'm only carnivore, I'm only keto on the weekdays. But the reality is that on Friday, you're probably getting ready to eat um, off plan. And so you already ingesting some sugar that day or whatever other food you're eating. And then on Sunday, you let's say have your last cheat day. But then by Monday, you're feeling really crappy. So your diet may not be that perfect on Monday. So that gives you Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. So that means that more of your days are cheating or eating off plan than you are eating clean. And so that's why if you don't see the needle moving, or if you're craving sugars, or you're not feeling well, or you feel like you're restricting, you have to see what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, because it's the day-to-day things that you do that will affect your overall goals and um, where you want to be in your life. If what you've been doing thus far has not been working, then then at a certain point, it's like shame on you, right? I mean, I I was plant-based and I was bulimic and I was probably 20 pounds skinnier than I am now, but I have my health back and I don't eat sugar. I mean, sure, I'm not as thin as I used to be, but I have my mental health back and I I don't have that relationship with food where I'm always thinking of my next meal and and just focused on what I'm going to eat or how I'm going to be clean today and all these things. Like I have that freedom. And to me, I don't feel that this way of eating is restriction. And now I'm at a point where my body is so well fueled that when I eat off plan or if I eat some vegetables or I have some sugar I feel so sluggish the next day and I feel that inflammation, the joint pain. And I realize, oh yeah, this is why I eat clean now because I know the freedom I've had and I've tasted eating a meat only diet. I also want people to know too, that, you know, just the sheer number of people who feel the same way that you do. Most people feel like they don't know how to stay on track. They can't be consistent and they feel broken. And I think we talk often about the shame cycle that that goes into it. And it's only going to make things worse. You are absolutely not alone in the way that you feel about this, the difficulties that you have and the struggles that you have. But at some point, here comes the tough love. At some point, you're the only person that can do anything about it. And it is up to you. You have to decide if you want it enough. You have to decide if enjoying the foods in the moment is worth it enough. You have to decide if you're ready to break that addiction. And if you're ready to put in the work to get past that and to push through and to find the healthier place that's on the other side of it. I still have really hard days, really hard weeks and really hard months, but I am healthier and I'm stronger. And those good periods are much longer stretches in the middle of the difficult times. And so I don't think there's ever this switch that flips where like life gets easy forever with your relationship with food. But I do think that you can put together longer, good stretches. You learn how to overcome those things easier. You also learn like if it's worth it or not. Someday you might just say like, yeah, it is worth it to go eat chips and salsa and have margaritas with my friends. But you're going to be aware of the consequences and the difficulty that it takes to get back on track again after that. And so you'll have to make those decisions. But, you know, you're not alone in this, but you also have to be able to kind of accept it and do something about it if you're ready, when you're ready. Or I've been reading a book by the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. He talks about how one of the biggest rules are you got to stop the blame game, right? So sometimes I tell Kevin, my husband, I say, I'll eat some extra ice cream. And let's say if um, I I have some, I'll say it's because it's in the house. It's readily available. And so I blame him. I'm like, if you just didn't have that, then I wouldn't be eating it. But the thing is, at the end of the day, I'm the one that makes the decision to eat it. Now, if you're very new to this way of eating and you're not assimilated, then for sure don't have those foods around you because they will be, they will cause temptations. But if you're like four years in like me, that's a different story. 
So everything this this author was saying is that, you know, circumstantially, if you grew up with a poor upbringing, um, you had a hard life. And at a certain point, while all of those are facts, it depends on what your dreams are and how much you stop blaming everyone else and stop start owning your own stuff. Because if you don't own your own stuff, whatever you achieve or you don't achieve, you're going to blame on someone else. And then, and then what? Your life is going to be stagnant. You won't achieve the goals you want. But definitely figure out what your goals are and your dreams are and then do it, right? I know it's hard. Trust me, I get it. It's hard. I work with clients that struggle and I know the food addiction is real. I mean, I was bulimic for 12 years of my life and I still have some days where I have anxiety and then I feel like, oh, I want to go to the kitchen and I feel it um, even though I may not do anything about it. And so you can change. It's absolutely possible. I thought I would have to live with an eating disorder for the rest of my life and I've changed and and it's possible, but you have to believe and you have to do the hard work and and you have to stop blaming the new diet. It was it was repeat. It was carnivore. It was keto. No, it, at a certain point, you have to see that you are the common denominator. If if you're blaming someone for the foods in your house, I mean, if you've been doing this for a while at a certain point, it's well, you made the decision to eat it and maybe think about what got you triggered to even decide to eat it. Yeah, absolutely. We have to be able to see that look at the, look at it. I think it's hard. Like you said, there's other people in your house that are eating that way. We it can cause a lot of resentment, but we have to own our own decisions in that. Yeah. Cool. Let's talk. uh, We have some reviews we want to catch up on. We want to read some reviews you guys have left us. We really appreciate those. It helps us to be able to share this. It's also a great place. If you want to ask us questions, you know, today our topic was really come from a question that you asked. uh, So feel free to leave those there. But we have a Beacon Beacon Dragon says one of the best podcasts out there. Judy and Laura are the best. They complement each other perfectly. I've been full carnivore for a couple months now. When I have a thought of a question, they have covered it. When I am getting my daily vitamin D, I turn on this podcast. Keep going, you guys. Good. That's exactly what we want. Go for a walk. Hopefully, you're outside listening to this um, or driving. I get. That. I drive around to listen to podcasts. <laughs> Isla LaCroix, I think. Um, So love, this is perhaps my favorite podcast. I love the real talk and feel like I'm hanging out with my friends since I'm a longtime fan of both Judy and Laura. Thank you for this content. The next one is from SYDBAS. Bone gnawing good. Hey, ladies, you all are doing great. Keep up the good work. And please don't let the dregs of social media get you down. I've been keto since July 2020. Carnivore since December 2020 flexing between meat only and keto as my IBS has greatly improved. I have a question regarding my birth control and sleep. I'm 27 year old female on my second, um, love Why did I read this one? IUD four years in total. I wanted to know your origin of the method of hormonal birth control and how it impacts sleep and digestion. I drink calm uh, magnesium water before bed, but I wake up every single night between 2 to 3 a.m. without fail. What else can I do? I'm at a loss. Could it be hormones? I still have at least one day each month with super bad IBS symptoms without changing what I've eaten, thinking it's hormonal as well. Thanks. So, okay, let me say this. I know nothing about science. Judy's going to talk about that. And I think maybe we'll reference you to a couple other places. I do know I've done my own research because about once a month, 
the day before I start my cycle, I get that same like really loose stools, no matter how what I'm eating or consistent. I always call it my period poops. I don't know why, but like, it's, just, it's normal. I it's Yeah. Normal. So in my understanding, I think actually Judy has told me like, it's very normal and hormonal. And I figured it was just like my body getting ready to go through that process and kind of flushing itself out. So I think that part's normal. And as far as the rest, we'll let Judy talk about. Yeah. So there's such a thing called period poop. So if you're um, having more stools right around your period, it's normal. It's the hormonal changes. So, you know, I don't know that specific IUD. I don't know if that's a copper IUD. If it is, um, I highly recommend looking at my copper content. Um, I'll put a blog post in the notes, but you can get copper poisoning from copper IUDs. I don't know if that is one. Um, In general, I'm not a fan of birth control. I think it affects our hormones and Um, Like you said, it could affect your sleep cycle, your digestion, and um, those other areas. The calm magnesium, I'm also not too much of a fan of because it's usually magnesium citrate, and citrate can cause loose stools. If you don't have that issue, that's not a big deal. The sleep, um, if you're waking up consistently between 2 to 3 a.m., that is a blood sugar dysregulation. That doesn't necessarily mean you're eating too much sugar, but it could be that you're having a cortisol response. So if you're a highly stressed person, if you have been dealing with stressors in your life, if you are eating too much protein or too many keto snacks or whatever it may be, one, I would just make sure your blood sugar regulation is normal. So, you know, make sure to check when you wake up right before your meal, two hours after your meal, make sure there's no big, big swings. And then from there, uh, figure out your stress load, right? Are you working out too much for your body? Are you overly fasting? All of these things are cortisol responses. And that will then cause in the middle of the night, essentially what happens is we need cortisol. So in the middle of the night, your blood sugar may dip too low. And then basically cortisol will be released to make sure that blood sugar is regulated. And then when you have a pump out of cortisol, you'll wake up and you think you may need to go to the bathroom, but it's actually an adrenal response. And so what we need to figure out is during the day, what are you doing to have that response? And that is a lot more complicated of a question. It could even be underlying inflammation. I have some clients that they're fixing everything in their lifestyle. And I realize that they might just have a heightened immune response and that can cause cortisol um, to have them wake up in the middle of the night. So I would try blood sugar regulation first, um, see what you're eating, think about the stressors in your life. And then from there, you could do hormone panels if it's still not getting better. I would look into your IUD, what it's made of. Essentially, it can be hormones, but that would be not be the first thing I would check. I mean, cortisol is a hormone. So is that something that you might even recommend that might be a good use for a CGM so you can kind of see what's happened to your blood sugar in the night? Well, if she's waking up at 2 to 3 a.m., she doesn't even have to get it. Like, for sure. You just know. Yeah. If if you wake up at the exact same time every night, that is the biggest indicator that that is where your cortisol, I mean, your blood sugar dropped and cortisol had to come in. I've seen so many CGMs at this point. You see, like, the blood sugar is at, like, 50-something, and then all of a sudden it's at, like, 120, 130, 150, and that's wow. when they wake up. Because huh. you have this burst of energy and you're like, okay, I'm ready to go. But because your body thinks you're dying and then it like yes. jolts you awake. Yes. And you don't know. So you think, oh, I, I have to go to the bathroom. Right. Um, but it's not. And and oftentimes another indicator when it's really bad is when you can't go back to sleep. So some people go pee and they go back to bed right away. And that's fine. Some people 
after they wake up in that middle of the night, they're like wide awake and they cannot go go back to bed and maybe they'll get one extra hour of sleep, but it's mostly tossing and turning. Oh, wow. Interesting. That would make sense if you have that energy spike then. Yeah. Cool. That was a good, and we should have talked more about that earlier. That's a good information. (laughs) Thanks for asking that question. Okay. The last one is by Marty O. Thank you. Love these episodes. As a new carnivore, I'm so happy to be able to learn from your wins and struggles. You two are great. Thank you. Yeah, we just wanted to have a genuine conversation on here. So we hope that we're doing that. Maybe some people want like just rainbows and unicorns, but that's not what you're going to get from us. Um, I work with way too many clients to not have the empathy to give it real because I'm tired of my clients feeling sick and feeling like, why am I the only not normal one? But the reality is they are the normal ones. And social media and uh, influencers and whoever else, we're just painting a too ideal picture that is not realistic and sometimes can be detrimental to people that are trying to heal. Sorry, I'm like, I don't know why. Yeah, listen, get it, girl. It's been a, it's a, we're a, recording this on a Friday. It's a fired up Friday, y'all. All right, guys. Um, hope this information was helpful. We'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. 
Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Cut against the grain.